0: What the hell? Wait, what just happened? No, are we live? I think we are. Okay, great. <laughs> Hello, all right. So here's just a little bit of a test, ladies and gentlemen. Do you guys and gals hear me on the unlisted the unlisted YouTube? Everybody see it? Everybody see us? Me? I mean, i I, I got Tim over here. I'm bringing him on in a second. I just want to make sure everybody sees excuse me let's see hello yeah yeah you're good great wonderful wonderful and joining me right now it's a it's 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 this is so timothy i am i'm so happy that we're doing this again it's like old times
1: it does it does feel like that man it's great to see you again in the new year
0: yes it yeah and here we are kicking it off in grand grand fashion it is session one Of C.S. Lewis the great divorce its chapters one through five I have been able to read it a couple of times because the pages go by so quick and uh, What I want to do is just not try to reinvent the wheel what we did with windswept house Let's just go through what was going on some play-by-play memorable moments and then we have a very very full brimming full wonderful uh, thread And uh, I I want to especially welcome your audience, Tim, um, because we are doing something really great right now where we are combining uh, subscriber bases from both audience together, and we're making this a communal uh, experience.
1: Yeah, which is a very cool concept. I mean, like, it's not, we sort of did it last time for Windswept, but this is more expressly like my patrons plus, plus Franklys out there. So, I really, yeah, it's an exciting concept to do.
0: Indeed, it is. And, and you know, and let's just jump right on into it. Um, we have this book, C.S. Lewis, and I, the, the reason why I always wanted to do this, and this is probably going to be the third time that I read this all the way through now, is because I was given a, a cha- maybe a little bit of Chapter 2 back in high school and what we analyzed back in high school from chapter two was the description of this sprawling, endless, empty city that is hell. And at first, you don't really know, is this person, does this person know that they're alive? Does he, do they know that they're dead? Uh, is this purgatory? Because there's no fire. There's no, nothing else. But the more you go into it and the more you read about the, the conditions in which people live, it really is. It's hell. And for that to be forever is um is is something just quite quite intriguing and uh and mesmerizing. But let's do a little bit of a preface. Uh in the preface itself, uh Timothy, I don't know if there's anything in there that caught your eye. I have a few things here. I love that it brings up right off the bat. What is the great divorce? Is it the marriage of heaven and hell? Obviously, that was divorce. But I think as we go on, you let me know there is um there's a there's all all things that people individuals have divorced themselves from uh, especially divorce of faith uh, and they lose the just this basic desire to put down their earthly baggage even when they're staring heaven in the face they can't let go of what they thought you know all that ego and all of their 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 earthly experiences so there's a lot of divorce like concepts even in the early goings here anything like that come up for you
1: yeah, I think I finally got it. What is this little prefatory word, signposted in the preface. I think I finally got it in chapter five, so we can talk about it, or I'll, I'll make a, a comment there in chapter five. But for the moment, the most I think clearly important sentence that's a signpost in the preface is, "It is still either or. Good can't come of evil, though evil can be undone." So this book is first and foremost a rejection of moral relativism the moral relativism that we meet in several of the characters who refuse to be saved uh and, and once you wrap your head around what lewis is saying the great divorce is it makes a great deal more but he's saying evil can be undone but good no good comes of that evil which is uh one of the the chief cousins of moral relativism. It's like, well, I messed up in my early life, but but good came of it. I've even tended toward talking sometimes about parts of my misspent youth in that direction, and it's not right. You can always undo your evils, but good can't come of them, and it's an either-or style divorce, which to me becomes clear right at the end
0: of Chapter 5. i, I I'm uh, Of course, we're already... Picking the same exact excerpts. I love it. Yeah. This this is yeah. this is right yeah. in the preface. Evil can be undone, but it cannot develop into good. Time does not heal it. The spell must be unwound bit by bit with backward mutters of dissevering power, or else not. It is still either or, if we insist on keeping hell or even earth, we shall not see heaven. And um and here's the other thing on the other, on the very last page of the preface preface page number 9 second to last page here's a little bit more there too but what you ask of earth earth i think will be found will not be found by anyone to be in the end a very distinct place i think earth if chosen instead of he- instead of heaven will turn out to have been all along only a region in hell and earth, if put second to heaven, to have been from the beginning a part of heaven itself. And Tim, I mean, uh, you don't even get out of the preface. And you're, my, my my hair is already standing up on my arm here. Because when you think about the kind of social planning, the social engineering that we live through every day, even the transhumanism and this whole idea of being able to live a full or enthralling life inside of a digital, virtual space. And, uh, and, and obviously, for, for the creators of that monstrosity, they do put all of that before heaven, because to them, heaven is not real. It's, uh, it, it's an incredible thing that here we are, just in the preface, kicking concepts like that around.
1: It's the Luciferians who always promise heaven on earth. Just think about that. That's at the front of Lewis's mind as he writes this.
0: Yes, yes. All right. Well, in chapter one, we jump right into it. It's referred to as the gray place, which we learn eventually is hell, and some may call it purgatory along the way. But it's always on the brink of twilight. And I think that um, I think that as we go along with this with this, this these readings together, Tim, what I'm always going to be brought back to is the imagery. This is a this is a a, a masterpiece to me and I hate to you know conclude already what the book is but I've read it before it is a real um, it, it's just uh, the imagery is stunning everything that is being described the places you're taken to the the, the color the texture of things that is the real crux of of the reading experience here and it's and when they start off with this this uh this gray place i love when he talks about how there it's always in that twilight as i would call a from a baseball perspective a useless light because it's at right at that moment when you can no longer play catch uh safely without having some kind of a light on and for everything to just be in that in-between where there is this nobody around except this small group of people waiting at a bus stop that we later know is the line to get onto the bus to go and make the journey to heaven, which in itself is only a, a destination to begin another journey from there. And and how the disharmony and the discord among people, how right there at the the main, the main character is observing people leaving the line to get onto the bus in distress fighting with each other hitting each other everybody's ornery and on top of this it's just this complete lack of harmony uh we have this town this village this city that's largely empty and we learn why as time goes on what, what did the initial imagery of hell strike you with well the first i think the first two characters he
1: comes across so the squabbling husband and wife you know he spends two lines on them and the wife says, I, I didn't want to go anyway. And the husband says, well, you care nothing for my happiness. I only was going to go because you wanted to. And, that, and then those are the first two characters in a long line of folks who, uh, about whom we know very little, about whose appreci- epistemic appreciation for heaven, hell, we know very little. I'm still not sure after five chapters whether or not this uh, first and second character that comes across, the, the husband and wife, whether they knew that they were waiting in a queue for hell or, or for heaven, It was whether or not they understood or not they appreciated what the gravity was of giving it up when they both uh, quit the bus station and say, forget it. And I'm, I'm not that that seems to be the kind of um for for, for like thomas aquinas say this is just an example At, in between your particular judgment and your general judgment you don't have your body so you don't have your phantasms therefore you don't have most of your memories that's the epistemic status that most of these people particularly the husband and wife struck me as uh, so to, to me i get focused on character sometimes i lose some of the imagery you i remember from talis you're really good at at bringing us back to the images because I'm trying to figure out what's going on with the characters and I, I couldn't tell epistemically whether these characters had full appreciation of of what was going on and like I say it's really at the end of chapter five that I think I finally understood what we're supposed to understand about the the headspace of n- all or most of the characters we come across. But I still don't know whether the husband and the wife understood what they just left behind. Do
0: you? No, I, I that's the other thing. I, I don't know. Uh, because as you see those who actually made it onto the bus, those who actually get there to the I guess the the bus stop at the the front the front end of heaven, realizing that's just where the, the, the purification journey begins. That just getting there is not the case you have to really start examining your life and you have to start leaving it behind and, and giving yourself over to something else. And everybody, everybody, the fact that some people didn't make it even off the bus, that as soon as they got off the bus at heaven, they ran back into the bus, I can't do this. Or it's right. just, it's all too foreign. Um, everybody is stuck in the rat race, in the hamster wheel of what really was our draw all the things that motivate us here on Earth, it's continuing elsewhere. For example, you know, um, I mean, there, there, there are so many people who are hung up on the baggage, and many do take the trip. They're obviously going for the wrong reasons. For example, the, the young guy who killed himself, we learn that he could not find any kind of satisfaction with anybody, and he found everybody around him to be wanting for something, and they're lacking in something that he always wanted in, in his his peers or his loved ones and all that. And he threw himself into a tra- in front of a train and he was going to heaven because he wanted recognition and he wanted appreciation that they, he didn't find on earth or in hell, you know, some wanting to have their earthly talent, like the intellectual in uh, it's, it might be chapter five who wanted his earthly talents put to use in heaven where there was absolutely no need for his, bullshit galaxy brain you know you know d- d- diarrhea and that's ex- it's just incredible it's incredible stuff right there um a little bit on on hell mm. as far as the the sprawling landscape here's from chap uh, from uh page page 9 it says we're now so high that all, now the bus is, is above everything. We're now so high that all below us have become featureless, but fields, rivers, and mountains I did not see, and I got the impression that the gray town still filled the whole field of vision. It seems like a deuce of a town, I volunteered, and that's what I can't understand. The parts of it that I saw were so empty. Was there, or was there once a much larger population? And this is what I read in high school that got me. Not at all, said my neighbor on the bus. The trouble is that they're so quarrelsome. As soon as anyone arrives, he settles on some street. Before he's there, even 24 hours, he quarrels with his neighbor. Before the week is over, he's quarreled so badly that he decides to move. Uh, Very likely, he finds the next street empty because all the people there have quarreled with their neighbors and moved. So if he settles in, so if he settles in... Uh, if so, he settles in if by any chance the street is full. He goes further But even if he stays it makes no odds He's sure to have another quarrel pretty soon and then he'll move on again Finally, he'll move right out at the edge of town and build a new house. You see it's easy here You've only got to think a house and there it is. That's how the town keeps growing and uh, and and he's starts talking as far as earthly distances of thousands if not millions of miles of emptiness and um, and then peeking in on some old characters from history like Genghis Khan or the most lamentable of all the ones that we peek in on is Napoleon where he has this house I mean thousands of like years worth of traveling away and all he does is is stuck in this in this this pacing mentality. From side to side, and, and blaming all the people who made things wrong for him in his shot here on Earth, and just going over all of his failures constantly, brooding, 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 and that does sound like a hor- a nightmare, an absolute nightmare. I I don't need fire t- to be in hell. I mean, that is a nightmare. Yeah, without
1: without the principle of scarcity. Uh, I love how I think that's at the beginning of chapter two hell is wrought from a uh, abject lack of the principle of scarcity scarcity makes what is precious precious uh in the realm, in the material realm anyway mm-hmm. and uh scarcity enables all societies to exist he says yeah napoleon just bazes around mumbling and it's even interesting that the the people that got a peek at him said that they watched him for a year or something scarcity even applies to time they got lost watching him for a while and they watched him for one year
0: let me ask you this here's a question that i still don't i don't i still don't understand when our main character i forget if we ever get saddled with a name when our main character is on the bus somebody says to him uh oh there's a warning about the nighttime coming so everything's in twilight and there's a warning about night. In fact, where the hell is it? Uh, hold on. He says, um, oh, here it is. There's a little bit of an exchange Chapter here.
1: Chapter 2. Yeah. Chapter
0: yeah. 2. He says, yeah. uh, you mean if they, if they had to live together, they'd gradually learn to quarrel less? He says, well, I don't know about that. I dare say they could be kept a bit quieter. You'd have a chance to build up a police force, knock some kind of blah, 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 blah. But they want safety in numbers, he says, the guy he's talking to on the bus. The main character says safety from what I began, but my companion nudged me to be silent and I changed my question But look here. I said if I if if they can get everything just by imagining it Why would they want any real things as you call them? He goes. Oh, uh, well, they'd like houses that really kept out the rain uh, There <laughs> so so their present houses don't keep out the rain She says well, of course not how could they? What the devil is in the use of building them then the intelligent man put his head closer to mine safety again he muttered so i never get and and i think unless i miss something i think the open-ended question of what they want safety from in the dark out there and in hell is is pretty disturbing not to actually have a real answer yeah but
1: again it's a an epistemological question it sounds like if if the houses aren't materially real enough to keep out rain then presumably they're not materially real to keep out anything else you'd fear i know and we never really get an answer on that so so it's like i agree this is i'm really impressed i've never read this before and i'm i'm impressed with lewis all i've ever read is his um his fiction you know the the chronicles of narnia and i think he's a much better essayist but sometimes it's like he's a bit too clever like i i'd like to know what what does this mean you know, I what if you fear something, but it's not kept out aside from your presupposition that your imaginary house will keep out rain and other fearful elements of nature, or or predator nature, you know, whatever's stalking around there in hell. Uh, we, the audience, would like to hear. I, I, I was left wondering as well. Why? Well, I, I, but I, I did think that was the same line or paragraph where um, he's describing there in chapter two the gray grayish blue is either it's you have a certitude that it's turning to something it's either turning to full day morning or it's turning to night but it's like the gray blue of an evening and we never find out which which direction it's turning i think is this imagery uh which is supposed to establish that we can either go we could go back we can go to hell we could go forward we can go to heaven
0: I think maybe once you cross that Rubicon and you and you are of heaven, there's no yep. there's no going back. Obviously that, but th- th- this is the place where this is just the waiting room, and it's just uh, it's just I don't know. I, and, and as far as why even build the house if it's not going to keep out the rain, and what does this all mean, and what are you afraid of in the dark, and what can really protect you of it? I, I it would have to be, to me, if I'm going to go to the most obvious thing for me. With limited knowledge, we have to see if it ever gets clarified later in the book is that um, wh- why do why do we as children hide under the covers if we think that a monster is really outside of our bed? you know what is a blanket going to do for us? We still do it and and, and and here it is here's a new life where we're here, here, here are people who lived a full life on earth but now are trying to make sense of a completely different place that is not earth and I, maybe they just bring that childlike tendency to to cling to something that is more earthly to save them from something they still can't conceive of.
1: Yeah, certainly. That's that's kind of that's kind of where I stopped trying to figure it. Right. But I, I mean, especially since he goes through scarcity, the the when you live the composite existence on Earth, composite of form and matter, of have, you know having to have material shelter and things having to eat material food having to touch material flowers right that are just that don't feel like crystals to your spiritual feet or whatever he'll describe in chapter four scarcity enables all societies to exist that's that's um that's an important principle i I mean he's describing in hell some sort of communitarian uh dystopia where everyone doesn't get along because they lack the principle of scarcity and therefore they can just they're not forced to get along by a, just a shortness of you know, the material abundance
0: its it, I also like the idea that there is there is choice there not that there's not work and there's not penance that needs to be paid but that there is choice and uh, it, 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 I think it falls a little bit more in line with the idea of a of a benevolent and forgiving god um that that they that if you wanted to even if you are in this place you can still get on the bus and do the penance and do the work i like that idea that's a comforting idea though the work doesn't seem very comforting as you see it gets very challenging for all these characters that many people actually choose to go back to hell it's a uh, it's it's incredible uh how we start getting that from the early goings but Here's a little bit more of the imagery that I love now that they're getting out of that twilight of hell and going and breaking daylight here. Hours later, there came a change. Uh, It began to grow light in the bus. The grayness outside the windows turned from mud color to mother of pearl. I love that. Yeah. Uh, then, then to the faintest blue, then to a bright blueness that stung the eyes. We seemed to be floating in a pure vacancy. There was no land, no sun, no stars in sight. Only the radiant abyss. I let down the window beside me. Delicious freshness came in for a second, and then, of course, somebody said, "We're going to get cold." You know, put the put the window up, and breaks up the whole reverie there. But that's um, that that's just an, an incredible example of what you get fed. All the time, especially now, when I go to page 21, and we're moving right along, the imagery, again, now that they're at, they're just assessing the terrain, and you start getting a little bit more on the, uh, on, on what's going on with the, the grass, the blades of grass. They get off the bus, everybody's a little, they're huddled together, these ghosts now. They, he, he describes them all as ghosts in this new land. And they're trying to see what what is real and what is not. And uh, they they step on the grass. the grass goes right through their feet, and it becomes very uh, uncomfortable, almost like they're they're needle like. Uh, he talks about these daisies that he saw. Moved by a sudden thought, I bent down and tried to pluck a daisy, which was growing at my feet. The stalk wouldn't break. I tried to twist it, but it wouldn't twist. I tugged until sweat stood out on my forehead, and I had lost most of the skin on my hands. The little flower was hard, not like wood or even like iron, but like diamond. And talking about the these distant mountain ranges and he can almost see mountain cities that kind of blip in and out of of a vision from where he is and then they get approached Tim and what do you think about the approaching uh the approach the, uh, of, of the other the other light beings I I wouldn't call them angels because they're all people that they knew in a past life but what do you think about this
1: This is interesting the solid people they're called uh he, this is- i didn't know what to make of it um so the solid people are coming their way and uh he says the naked ones did not seem less adorned um i i didn't know if this was the same species or why they're able to just walk around freely i i really threw me for a loop that's that's that was kind of the most information i got there i'm curious what you thought about it before we go on i i just want to point out one one uh, oddity from an earlier chapter. Remember on on chapter one, in chapter one, there's um, a guy that offers like four quid, whatever the hell a quid is, to a lady to get a a more certain spot higher up in the line because they were unsure as they stood in the line for the bus whether or not they would get a seat. And it turns out we find out at the end of chapter two there by my count, we're going into Chapter 3 now, but at the end of Chapter 2, you find out the bus is only half full. So whereas everyone had assumed that it was a prized possession to have a, a ticket for the bus, it wasn't even full full out. It was like a not a sold-out Game and this might have something to do with the fact that people are dropping off and going back and things like that.
0: But um, I always saw that I saw that fighting to get on the bus as if there was it was going to be a scarcity of seats as just yeah. another example of how. Petulant and how unready we, how unready this class of people were for the abundance and the the glory that awaited them if they were ready to do the work. You know how everything was still just so petulant and um, and childlike in their in their their behavior with each other. I I just thought that was just a another little thing to throw in there to for for character development for those who will improve and then for those who will obviously bow out because right at the beginning when we have the approach and, and to your point about these people Here's what they, uh, he he's so he's talking about the the inaccessible summits in the in the distance And then he sees the people coming to meet us uh, Because they were bright. I saw them while they were still very distant and at first I did not know that they were people at all mile after mile they drew nearer the earth shook under their tread as their strong feet sank into the wet turf. See, their feet sink into the wet turf, and right. uh, everything for them is hard and translucent and, 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 and painful. A tiny haze and a sweet smell went up where they had crushed the grass and scattered the dew. Some were naked, some robed, but the naked ones did not seem less adorned, and the robes did not disguise, did, uh, did not disguise in those who wore them the massive grandeur of muscle and the radiant smoothness of flesh. Some were bearded, but no one in the company struck me as being any particular age. One gets glimpses, even in our country, of that which is ageless. Heavy thought on the face of, a, of an infant, the frolic childhood in that of every uh, in a very old man, here it was all like that they came on steadily. I did not entirely like it two of the ghosts screamed and ran for the bus The rest of us huddled closer to one another so two already said no, this is this is weird I'm, I'm getting the hell out of here. Everybody else is, is worried and scared of what comes next Are they about to be devoured but what you start noticing and here is the beginning of chapter four is That the big man the big ghost He's the first one to depart as we know he's approached by one of these light beings these these solid ones it's, it's a person that he had known in life And this is where we really start getting challenged. I think as a reader Personally because it created a lot of turmoil for me Yeah, you have a, a man one ghost, fresh off the bus He's greeted by a greet by a, a figure from his past to be his guide in these first steps toward paradise But the ghost is in indignant because he knew this man this this solid being to be a murderer in life and he felt slighted That this man could have lived that he could have lived any degree of a better life than this murderer and Still have that person greet him and prep him for the work that should be done He, he felt completely slighted completely indignant about the whole thing um, And it eventually became too much for him to bear and he left he went back to hell because of that, and there's some great exchanges here. What stood out for you with that, Tim?
1: Well, I, I started over after I got to Chapter 5, and something that stood out in a definite way is that the murderer and his victim, who have this interesting dialogue on on justice, really. You know, why should the murderer be in a higher ontological status than the victim? And the victim keeps saying, I gotta have my my rights whereas when I went back and I started chapter five sorry, uh, started chapter one again I came to um, I was actually listening to it as a book on tape and it was an English reader and he, the English reader used the same voice this guy's like a master of voices the one that I was uh, having it dictated to me by and he used the same voice and the quotation is the same from chapter one So I think it's the murder victim, the very beginning when he's waiting in the queue, he gets knocked down and he says, I got to have my rights. Hmm. So I think that our main character might have seen the murder of the guy. And it's the big guy that knocks down the little guy. And and it's a big guy talking to a little guy here as well. So I, I wasn't sure what's going on. With that, but he was but, in hell uh,
0: in that first chapter. He, he was in hell. They were already they started off. They were already dead. How would he witness? Oh, they're in Earth? hell.
1: They're in hell. Okay, you're right. That's right. So, yeah, the whole dream, the dreamlike status of this throws me a bit. But anyway, he said he was in hell. That's right. I got to have my rights. I got to have my rights. He's maybe maybe Lewis is making some sort of commentary on you know liberal democracy where everyone's just everyone's going around like a mantra, oh. just demanding their rights, but. Um, Yeah, again, there's a refusal. Uh, At the one time, I'll put it this way. C.S. Lewis is addressing two opposite ends on the moral theology spectrum. You know, he tells us in the preface that it's still either or, good can't come of evil. So he's addressing relativism. But on the other hand, we're not allowed to substitute our own judgment on justice, you know, which is the disposition of, you know, giving giving to each what is owed for god's judgment on justice and so if god judged that this calm uh sort of halcyon presence that was the murderer in life that that keeps trying to steady this guy's hand and he's like don't worry you don't just just get to where we're going and you know don't substitute your judgment for god's don't worry about the fact that i'm here and you're there and the guy eventually bails out and goes back to the bus Louis seems to be cautioning us against, um, I don't want to sound like Pope Francis, but uh, against a certain kind of rigidity as well, you know, the, op- the ostensible opposite of uh, relativism. I, I, I got the feeling that that was part of the point of having this staggering dialogue between a murderer and his victim.
0: I would say, yeah, yeah, and and well, I would say there too that I think that the the bigger point why I said it it challenges some someone like me when I read it is because I I also from an earthly standpoint because what other standpoint do I have at this point? um, You know, we we hear about great injustice and we hear about the 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 killing of children. Now we hear about every horrible news. Story and and many people's first First idea is justice and many people's first idea is revenge This person needs to be thrown into a wood chipper that person needs to be put out Taken off the earth They do not belong in polite society to go against <laughs> God and his children, what you know there, we, we get that a lot going on right here, and I don't know if it's rigidity because the real rigid What what's challenging and being rigid is applying? everybody's right to, to do penance and to actually uh, to do right and to reform. And, and somebody should not, you know, you and your, your most basic div- divine existence, your state, your soul is not above any others, especially if you do the work even, even as, a, as a murderer. Yeah, it's a murderer. He, like here, you see it already off the bat. Well, I'm damned," said the ghost. I wouldn't have believed it. It's a fair knockout. It isn't right, Len. I saw. So I guess the guy's the uh, the solid person's name was Len. You know what about poor Jack? You look pretty pleased with yourself. But what I say is, what about poor Jack? Poor Jack is who Len killed. He's here," said the other. "You will meet him soon if you stay." But you murdered him. Of course I did. It's all right now. All right, is it? All right for you, you mean. But what about poor the the poor chap himself laying cold and dead? But he isn't dead. I have told you, you will meet him soon. He is here. He sent you his love. What I'd like to understand said the ghost is what you are here for as pleased as punch you old bloody murderer while I've been walking the streets down there and living a place like a uh, living in a place like a pigsty all these years and he starts going on about what is what is owed to him because he lived a a, a better life and, and all that but then the the you know len pretty much tells him no you you didn't you didn't live a good life you didn't live a good life," he said. "Look at me now," said. "Oh no, I'm sorry. That's that's something else. Uh, maybe it's right over here. You can never yeah, do." "You
1: weren't a decent chap."
0: "Yeah, you weren't a decent murderer. chap." "Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Just just by just by not being a murderer, it doesn't mean you're a decent chap. People, uh, the medi- morally mediocre get on their high horse all the time because they're not a, a murderer and they can. You you'll hear this. You'll hear. I, I I hear this happen all the time." You know, the morally mediocre, you're ranting at their television set or something because, yeah, you're in on a murderer. But this is not your this is not your ticket to paradise. And they always mistake it for one.
0: Yeah, they here it is. You weren't a decent man and you didn't do your best. We none, we none of us were and none of us did. Lord bless you. It doesn't matter. There is no need to go into it all right now. And he's just trying to say, will you go on this journey with me? But he was just. There's too much. To, the uh, the there's personal work to be done. The baggage was too great to be set down, and uh, and there you go. Again, we get reminded of the the preface. Evil doesn't develop into good. It doesn't develop into good. And it just needs to be unwound. So the unwinding bit is where a lot of characters you're going to see an obsessive mother's possessiveness. Uh, that she believes to be love over her children in later chapters um you're, uh, and, and then and now that we're in the final chapter chapter five let's just jump right into it i mean this is this is big now there, there's obviously a trek up the mountain that is that we're working toward the work ahead it's a trek up a mountain to be able to get your feet your 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 new body ready for the terrain itself. And all this to just to ultimately lay eyes on the creator's face. But it is a physical task for the ghosts, as I said. Their feet are not ready for the harshness of the terrain. They, have, they haven't they have let go of their, their earthly issues yet. And it's very challenging for me when I read this chapter five, The Intellectual, because you wanna talk about liberal brain rot. <laughs> oh, it comes out here. He won't even, he this guy, this, this new ghost who's talking to another solid person, won't even accept the fact that he was just in hell, because that, that can't right. be so, there is no objective reality, uh, that's just a matter of perspective, and here we are, here we are living this all out. Right, and we find
1: out that he's an Anglican preacher, he's an Anglican priest, who has denied the literal reality of the resurrection. And he's here in hell with a, an ostensible chance for heaven. And ultimately, he's going to pass on his, his ticket to paradise, like Ivan Karamazov or something, because he says, well, well, happiness in here is in duty. And I can't go to heaven because I have to deliver a paper on theology next week. So, so C.S. Lewis is having a bit of fun. And the paper on theology is all about... The, the nature of Christ dying young, his theology must have been young, he probably would have repudiated it later. So he passes on heaven to give a talk in a few days on theology, which is again, Cs. Lewis was a bit of a humorist, and um, if you don't laugh, you cry. Uh, just one 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 of the final lines from four I wanted to comment on, Frank please is just um great line uh, again by the the wizened murderer. Who, who seems to get it more than anybody else we've met and he says there are no private affairs there are no private affairs when the um the guy that ultimately who uh who's railing about the fact that he's a murderer and he's in a ostensibly higher place he says i'd rather be damned than go along with you i came here to get my rights and this even if it's heaven it doesn't look like i'm getting my rights so i'd rather be damned the guys the guy keeps imploring him, pleading with him, you know, look, you weren't a good guy even if you weren't a murderer. And he goes, well, I was a good guy. I was a good guy publicly. I might have been bad in my private affairs. And this guy goes, there are no private affairs, which is great theology because sin we're taught in the catechism has an inherently public character. Even a sin that we don't quote unquote do to someone else, even something like self-abuse you know sexual self-abuse masturbation whatever that that's a public affair there are no private affairs and and the uh the denizens of hell are a population entirely wrought of folks who think that their their sins were private affairs just because they didn't violate some libertarian harm principle and that that's that's central to uh, the conversations that we're going to end up witnessing in chapter 5. I think
0: yeah, and, and, and no it, private it goes right into that. He said Do you really think that there are no sins of intellect? Start asking about th- that's when he's talking to the the, uh, the the Anglican. Do you really think that there are no sins of intellect? There are indeed dick. There is a high bound a high bound prejudice and intellectual dishonesty and timidity stagnation, but honest opinions fearlessly follow they are not sins so, uh, I mean, so all of this really goes into the reasoning, makes you think about the the reasoning that we have for for bending the rules for ourselves or even just going back for that one extra cookie in the cookie jar. And then it, it gets around to this. You know, I, I put this whole, the next page on chapter, uh, page 38, almost at the end here. I put a little annotation by this paragraph. It just simply says, damn, listen to this says, of course, having allowed oneself to drift, unresisting, unpraying, accepting every half conscious solicitation from our desires, we reached a point where we no longer believed the faith. Just in the same way, a jealous man drifting and unresisting reaches a point at which he believes lies about his best friend. A drunkard reaches a point at which for the moment, he actually believes that another glass will do him no harm. The beliefs are in, uh, the beliefs are sincere in the sense that they do occur as psychological events in the man's mind. If that's what you mean by sincerity, they are sincere. So were ours. But errors which are sincere in that sense are not innocent. And I just said, "Wow! I mean, there's no. Again, it's just responsibility. You can't escape it. You just can't escape the responsibility. It doesn't matter how you rationalize." It's, it's just yeah. incredible.
1: I like, I like when the intellectual asks him, sincerely surprised, you really think that people are penalized for their honest opinions? And, and he's, he's trying to say, yes, <laughs> your honest opinion is still subject to the principles of non-contradiction and uh, the first principle of practical reason. Like, yes, you, some things you can't not get right. In in a similar in the same paragraph of dialogue between these two guys, the intellectual says it sounds like you are coming to believe in a literal heaven and hell, and and the our guy goes, but aren't they real? (laughs) I mean, we're in them right now, (laughs) and intellectuals aren't capable of getting it, mind you. This this book was being planned as C.S. Lewis is writing it. You know, uh, the Eagle and the Child at oxford so he he knows where he he speaks intellectuals miss the forest for the trees
0: yes absolutely and 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 as far as lewis's ability to really frame up stubbornness and pretentiousness oh it gets it's it's just it actually gets frustrating as hell sometimes um yeah the back and forth Uh, I'm not sure that I've got the exact point you're trying to make, said the ghost. I'm not trying to make any point, said the spirit. I'm telling you to repent and believe. But, my dear boy, I believe already. We may not be perfectly agreed, but you have completely misjudged me. If you do not realize that my religion is a very real and a very precious thing to me. He says, very well, said the other, as if changing his plan. Will you believe in me? He says, in what sense? (laughs) Seriously, these little... These little goalposts. I feel like this is the average conversation you have with somebody in the, the comment section in Twitter. It's just, <laughs> it, it, it's just the, just always moving the goalposts. The, the slippery little eel. They it just want to. It's just infuriating. And here's one. Whoa. Here's one we got here. Um, I can promise you none of those things as far as what he wants. You know, what he wants out of the deal. But we must all interpret those beautiful words in our own way, says the Anglican. For me, there is no such thing as a final answer. The free wind of inquiry must always continue to blow through the mind. Must it not? And it's just, is that just not typical? Is just that not typical of what we're dealing with right now? And when he said the whole bit about how he has a term paper that is due and he wants to, as you said, wants to project as to whether or not Christ, Jesus Christ, had um, survived longer and was not executed. Would he have changed his views on things? I said, "Well, that is the same mentality behind those recent articles of people making the claim that Jesus was actually transgender."
1: Right. Like, I mean, it's, it's right. the
0: same. It's just the same thing. So, uh, very keen, very, uh, very, very precise in in the way that this is framed up.
1: Well, the the, the religion religion of most academics, I, I learned this firsthand, is that the free wind of inquiry must blow, as this guys keep saying. This is what they believe in. Uh, Chesterton wrote that uh, having an opinion is like opening your mouth. You, you do it in order to bring it down once again on something more solid, not just to continue opining. And this is the problem with even vague new age spiritualism right like i believe i believe that there's the possibility of god i even believe in one god it's like well one god's got to have attributes got to have properties um the free wind of inquiry blows in order to attain its end uh this is this is i think the best line in the entire five chapters so far our spirit says thirst was made for water inquiry for truth what you now call the free play of inquiry has nothing more to do with the ends for which intelligence was given you than masturbation has to do with marriage and the again lewis is a bit of a humorist oxford style humorist he has his relativist his moral relativist the anglican priest now getting offended even though he's the relativist he's making the case for you know no moral absolutes no spiritual absolutes he's the one that gets offended because it was a a strong point against relativism and for christian ethics and for the belief the literal christian belief in the resurrection and he says this this stark quote which is quite apropos uh the free play of inquiry has nothing more to do with the ends for which intelligence was given you we have an intellect to to discern god than masturbation has to do with marriage and he says well no need to be crass and he uh changes the subject
0: and isn't isn't that uh isn't that incredible there, too, because that is the exact reason why to be to have been called or labeled sophisticated was not always a compliment, especially if you were talking to a stoic. Um, sophistication was actually a slight where you're so, you know, into yourself and, and playing the the game that the Anglican plays in this that. Um, look at what you have canceled out for yourself with the with all the. the the, the the mind games and that's really where we are right now uh, at the end of chapter five I don't know if you have anything else in particular you wanted to do before we can go to what the audience has put into the official thread but it's that sets the stage for a lot I don't remember all these the, the with precision what is coming but I know a lot more like that is coming and it gets much more profound and much more colorful and incredible i I, I just love. I just love the landscape that is painted in the mind for this. But, um, but go ahead with whatever you have left over with your nose, because then we can get into what the audience picked out.
1: I once wrote an article for the Imaginative Conservative. I used to be a senior contributor to the Imaginative Conservative, and I wrote an article, called I wanted it to be called The, the physiognomy of Wokeness, Thin Skin, Strong Stomach i think they changed it to the anatomy of of wokeness thin skin strong stomach and the idea was this exactly what i just, what we saw trans, transpire between um basically the good guy and the anglican preacher which was all woke people have thin skin but a strong stomach and the idea of being a christian is you ought to have thick skin but a but a sensitive stomach and uh, what i mean by that is you know, your average LGBTQ uh, apparatchik will get offended, maybe start tearing up, clamoring for their rights, their rights, and they say they need a safe space if you uh, call them a a gender assigned by their sex, which is something that accords with reality. And yet what they're arguing for is you know essentially pederasty uh codified normalization of pederasty so they have they have a strong stomach but incredibly thin skin this is what um what transpires between the the relativist who say, who gets offended when the guy is like no jesus's incarnation is is literal and the free wing because the, the free winds of inquiry shouldn't just blow for their own sake so Uh, as a little plug for an article I wrote along very similar lines I I would just say it's funny that the relativist Anglican preacher says happiness is a matter of duty I already mentioned it he can't go to the mountains go to heaven because he has an obligation to present this theology paper next week you're supposed to get that this is a blasphemer holding on on, he thinks he's still on earth or something Hmm. holding court holding a very high favor in probably a place like oxford uh presenting a position paper on speculative theology at best you know what would mature jesus's views has been if he lived all along which is really deeply offensive dogma doesn't change jesus's teachings wouldn't have changed and yet he's doing it in the name of of good uh of obligation of duty and and true happiness in the aristotelian fashion and here's in doing your duty it's you, I guess, I'm get, still getting used to C.S. Lewis's kind of highbrow, high Englishman style of humor, but it's, he's really making great points. And yeah, I think yeah. you've read beyond where I'm at, Frank. You said there's more of this, but it's, well, it's very, I, very I, rich I, stuff.
0: I only, I stopped in, ch- stopped in chapter five, but I, like I said, I had read the book in its entirety. The last time I did it was about four years ago, so I, I do know that there's more there's more big impacts coming our way so yeah yeah it's going to be like a fresh read for me one way or another but wonderfully said hey, hey what would you think about the fact that uh, all of the uh, that aristotle was widely available in hell
1: i don't know i don't know because i read that the only chapter i read twice was chapter one and it said yeah the, all the bookstores just had the complete works of aristotle <laughs> so- I, I thought that I thought that sounded like heaven man uh... I,
0: I, I couldn't wait to ask you about that because we, yeah. i mean we've been talking about aristotelian uh concepts for it's for as long as we've known each other i've learned a lot about it through you because i haven't done a lot of reading on my own so i said oh i aristotle i gotta ask him about this one why is this so well stocked in hell so maybe it's just well, more of that humor remember. yeah no, maybe it's just kinda, kind of kind of a
1: little jibing friendly jibing remember the you probably know most people know the the guy that converted old atheist C.S. Lewis to Christianity is is J.R.R. Tolkien for people out there who don't know and Tolkien was pissed because he put in all of these smoky cigar-filled evenings uh I think at the Eagle and the Child there in Oxford of convincing his friend Lewis of the reality of God and when Lewis finally came into the church, he came in as an Anglican. The Anglican tradition is not nearly as richly informed by Aristotelian philosophy or, or scholastic philosophy of the High Middle Ages as the Catholic tradition. So I felt like it's kind of just lobbing one over at his friend. I mean, Tolkien was was righteously angry that when Lewis came in, came back into Christianity, he came in as you know a national, a nationally uh, appropriate. English English Anglican and so I I thought that that's all I could make of it other than that I'm like why why would Aristotle be in hell Aristotle's the way you know Aristotle's like you know the writings of the Holy Spirit on moral theology before that that paved the way for Jesus to come if you ask a lot of Aristotelians so I I I, it might have just been a joke
0: it it could it could have just been very very deep-seated humor that or, or or some kind of an irony that just wanted to put it on there. Maybe there was just a, a seed, something, a Jack and the Beanstalk kind of opportunity to pick up a, a copy of Aristotle and suddenly want to get on the bus. You know, who knows? You know, like like some reading material while you're waiting for the next one to come around. All right, let's jump into the, uh, let's jump into our, the chat room is alive. There is, there's over 100 people that have been watching since the beginning. I absolutely love it. Our, our uh, audiences are meshing beautifully, and um, let's get to this. All right, Maria says, The last lengthy paragraph for Chapter 2, really the last full paragraph, was a wonderful image for me, the cruel light, exposing what everyone truly looks like, almost their true, true souls. Quote, One had a feeling that they might fall to pieces at any moment if the light grew much stronger. Then there was a mirror at the end of the wall, and I caught a sight of my own that's the end quote she says i really desired to know what the main character's own image was in the mirror it reminded me of a lot of the belief that was uh, that as we walk in the light it exposes our sins in ways we can improve to do better to serve god the constant searching of our souls and asking god to search us and how that light exposes what is hidden in the dark before wonderful read so far much faster than i expected yes uh absolutely um here's another one. Uh, Sharon says words flow quickly and seamlessly off the page, leaving me wanting to read on the seedy empty city that stretches on and on and out forever. And time seeming to be paused purgatory, perhaps not quite hell, maybe a place to think about, uh, maybe a place to think about what you have done to put you there. And most don't. Their very nature is stuck where they were and uh, where they were they, when they died, leaving them to wander further and further from God. The people in the gray town are as, are all flawed, but they don't see it. The souls on the bus, I think, represent the seven deadly sins or vices. And pe- from page 20, here's a quote. Now that they were in the light, they were transparent, fully transparent, when, the, when they stood between me and it, smudgy and imperfectly opaque, when they stood in the shadow of some tree, they were in fact man-shaped stains on the brightness of the air. One could attend to them or ignore them all, uh, or, or ignore them at will, as you would do dirt on a window pane. End quote. Lewis's description of these lost souls is a perfect example of the imagery he is painting. I didn't even think and somebody else even said that. Interesting comment on the passengers representing the seven deadly sins. Must reread from that perspective.
1: Uh, with regard to the first comment, sorry, I have to think of these. are, are comments from your audience and my
0: audience are always so deep. I, I, I sincerely believe that. Um, I, I actually think that in, se- in session two, I should for forego- I should you know make all of my make all of my own uh, you know page and and underlinings and all that stuff just so I have something to go to. But we should just right. work off of these threads and just re- right. read people's stuff. I don't know. It's incredible but, yeah,
1: that the, the the light dark you know your your sins come to light. It's like the Johnny Cash song. Uh, again, there are no private affairs. Uh, sin has an inherently public character, even private sins. That that I think that's from that exact stretch of uh, text too.
0: Yes, yeah. He, there, there's so much. He, here's a little bit more from NJSF. It says one of the most provocative excerpts happens right in the preface i think earth if chosen instead of heaven yep there we go will turn out to have been all along only a region in hell and earth if put second to heaven to have been from the beginning a part of heaven itself it, it it's i mean it's the reason why i said the social engineers they are lost in the ever the yeah. the, the, the long and everlasting decay of their their wanting to be god These pursuits to control every last thing because this is their playground to do everything. And it's just then those of us who just are looking for a good sunset to experience and just get lost in that and to to be present and and to want to be and to want to prepare yourself for being somewhere else and, and to do well. Then, yeah, this could be that heaven or it could be the hell where you're chopping off parts of your body, sewing new parts on, trying to perfect yourself and mankind. It's hell. It really is in that respect. Yeah. Yeah. Um, What else do we have here? The imagery of the ever expanding gray city. They have no needs. Yes. Uh, Never making the effort to get to know them rings quite strongly of current times. Uh, Favorite related quote. Is it scarcity that enables society to society to exist, as you brought up, Tim? Um, then he says, but not being a, in which is interesting, given all the advice for having an abundance mentally. After thinking about it, actually not contradictory. The current scarcity may be a fact, but through ingenuity, one can create abundance. The theme of awareness and ownership of one's own actions is pervasive in this book from the description of Napoleon's day to day to my favorite scene so far of the big man and the ghost when he meets his guide and starts demeaning him because he was a murderer, ignoring his own failures of character only to be only doing by the law. He says, but I've done my best all my life, you see, not by being a nice person. And the revelation was that he was not nice and he was hated. And here's another quote. That was the work of a moment, and I was half mad when I did it, the murder. But I murdered you in my heart deliberately for years. You made it hard for us, you know, and you made it hard for your wife, too, and for your children. That's, yeah. Yeah. Secondary tolls. Do you have any um, any, any pieces from the thread that you want to bring out? There's too much to do, obviously, but
1: yeah sorry I, I hadn't i hadn't hand selected uh anything in particular that I, w- I was struck by the by the profundity of all or most of these remarks but I, I hadn't hand selected any uh here and I'm not looking at it so sorry Frank
0: oh no no I, I hey I haven't hand selected either any 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 either i just had two two pages in front of me and I'm trying to make the best of the time we have We only have about five more minutes left in this um but, uh, but, but I want to encourage everybody who's listening in the afterwards, not live, people who are in the chat room right now, many of you have probably contributed to this thread. I will be reading. I will be liking things, taking note, uh, reading through this thread. The real reason, to getting them all read on the on this show, on the book club, is not the real intention the real intention is for have other people to read all the way through to ask questions to add or subtract from somebody's take and to and so that people who are reading now and later will have this amazing resource there to actually better understand what they're reading and and to to see things that they may have missed and it becomes a so much more of a immersive experience you actually like windswept house i i'm i'm forgetting some of the the um Some of the characters names at this point because they were all you know pseudonyms, but the way that we did it Tim I have Mm -hmm. never been that uh, Tuned in to the developing plot in a book before because this forces you to get scientific with it. I I really love it Yeah
1: (laughs) And I you know you, you I salute how dialed in you were frank i was a great reading and that that went well and i it's it's fun doing this with you again i'll just say that much i also will just say as a kind of off the cap to what we did with windswept house which i think was kind of remarkable in the what springtime the before benedict would die on the last day of the year you know benedict is kind of that's kind of the group of guys that were squared themselves the bad guys in Windswept House against JP two, but really against Benedict. And um a lot of those characters ended up coming back out even in popular news accounts, uh, through Benedict's recent death. So I think it's really remarkable that you and I should choose to do a a, a book club on that book after I'd been meaning to read it for ten years in the springtide of the year that we would end up uh that he would end up dying. It just seems like good timing or something.
0: Oh, it's 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 divine providence if you ask me. A l- little yeah. uh, just a little touch of it. And I keep telling people it was so important for that reason because what was what was stenciled out in that book, in particular since we're kind of wrapping up this one for session 1, what was stenciled out in that book in particular gave us not only a glimpse into the satanic ritual world order that is being played out under our very noses, that has all of its talons dug deep into world government, which is trying to merge itself ever uh, every day with the churches of the world, the the Vatican being the chief among them because of its political and financial clout and, of course, the, 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 the how, how many faithful there are. And then we saw the very meticulous formation of the plot to take out john paul ii and to capture the papacy and to transform the papacy into this this uh you know this this democratized democratized kind of a council of of crap now into francis's papacy
1: that just so everyone's clear that that they were trying to turn it into francis's papacy and, and here they have it, it. be
0: clear because yeah. what, what what they couldn't do and as we know from the antonio sochi book and anybody else who has uh who has really gone out there and and put those those pieces together john paul ii for all of his shortcomings for all of his failures uh, he was still ultimately way too popular globally to be able to take, and they, they just probably just let him run out his run out his course. Uh, that's why, as you saw in, in the opening of the the Sochi book, they just um, they they concentrated all their firepower on Benedict because he did not have the same uh, Cold War anti communist clout. That John Paul II had that they really had to just eventually say hands off and they got the next guy with the exact plot that they had built up with the same mechanisms They had built up for John Paul II, all Shown us in a book that was turned into a novel form into fictionalized form in 1995 Telling us that it was coming. It was so prophetic and now here we are in a brand new year Benedict just died and now we, we and, and, and it's just it's incredible, but that's what we have for tonight and um, I, I don't know. I, I guess my general thoughts going forward is I just cannot wait to see more of these interactions and to just revel in more of the imagery that Lewis paints. Um, anything uh, you got, Tim?
1: No, no, that's great. I, this, I'm I'm really stoked to be along for the ride. Thanks thanks for organizing this, Frank.
0: No doubt. And I'm so happy. I'm hope, so happy that this is a, a group effort with your audience and mine. And uh, I'm going to be reading through a lot of this thread. Maybe we can pull more in. I'll set some aside if I think it's going to be really, um, really good going forward, and I'll, I'll publish the next thread soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's all, uh, Tim. Thank you for everything. Thank you, everybody in the chat room, and we will see you next Wednesday. All right, oh.
1: B- bye bye, peace.
0: Oh. Okay.